so glad that you guys are here this morning. This is on yet. Uh, we, today we are going to be launching a new series here tonight called The Vow. And uh, this series is all about how to thrive, how to come alive in our relationships. Whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're happily married, whether you're going through a rough patch in your marriage right now, this series will help you to take some, pre- to take some practical steps and learn some practical lessons on how to bring your relationships to life. We're going to hit things like lessons on communication. We're going to talk about dealing with conflict, uh, understanding and and working through our differences, all kinds of stuff. Last week is going to be a message called How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. We've got all different kinds of things uh, that we're going to be talking about, but all of of which there will be good stuff for you no matter where you're at in your life. Uh, If you deal with relationships, which is pretty much all of us in one way or another, there's going to be great stuff to pick up and to glean. Um, uh, for you along the way. So uh, here's going to be some good stuff. Guys, I've got some good plans in store. Today I want to start out the series by learning some deep insights from children about marriage and relationships and that kind of stuff. I, I, I uh, swiped this from, there's a pastor in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, of a church called Eagle Brook. That's another converged church that's part of our network. Uh, and he interviewed some, a bunch of kids, and I thought these were awesome. So I'm going to start out here today. So I'll take that next slide. Started out asking some of these kids, well, what do people do on a date? And here's some of the profound answers. Go on to the next one if you're good. On the first date, they just tell each other lies. <laughs> Martin, age 10, which I have to say, ouch, and probably partially true, right? Like, kind of Go on to the next one. Uh, Julie says, dates are for having fun. Even boys have something to say if you just listen long enough. <laughs> Again, I'm like, ouch. So the next one they asked, uh, they said, how do you decide who to marry? And Stephen, age 9, says, nobody really knows. God decides it all beforehand, and then you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> says, is it better to be single or married? And Anna says this, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. <laughs> yeah, I knew there would get some amens in the room for that. Uh, when is it okay to kiss somebody? Kristen, age seven, says, when they're rich. Where is she getting this material? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> like, what have you been talking about? No. Go on to the next one. How do you make love last? Tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck, says Jack, age nine. (laughs) How can you make somebody fall in love with you? Camille says, shake your hips and hope for the best. (laughs) I thought that was awesome. These are both hilarious and somewhat disturbing, I think, as you listen to them. It makes me wonder, anyway, where are they getting this stuff? What are they listening to in the home or in, uh, in other relationships where they're getting this Tell each other lies, shake your hips, and hope for the best. I mean, you couldn't script that stuff. That's hilarious. These kids have picked up, though, I think, on some of the lies, maybe some of the misconceptions sometimes, maybe even some of the cynicism that we've adopted as a culture about marriage, about relationships, about roles even, all kinds of stuff. And so for the next few weeks, we're kind of going to, as a church, we're going to dig into this whole idea of marriage, this whole idea of relationship with the idea of, of kind of getting back to God's picture and God's view and God's truth on how relationships work best, on how marriage works best, anyway, kind of hit what his design is and how to thrive uh, in the relationships that we have. We're going to spend some time uh, trying to get practical and discover some of the ways that we can foster the best marriage and the richest relationships possible. To start off the series, though, I want to start with the words of Jesus, because, man, as I as I look and listen to so much of what the culture has to say about marriage, divorce, all this kind of stuff, I, I, it just reminds me that we have drifted so, 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 so far from 
the view that Jesus had of what marriage was always meant to be. And so I, I think uh, to start out with, I want us to kind of recalibrate, reframe our own view of marriage and relationship. And then from there, after that, uh, we're going to kind of go on and talk about today about choosing wisely uh, who you're going to be married to, choosing wisely who you're going to be in relationship with. Uh, but I don't think we can fully understand how important it really is to choose wisely until we can kind of go back to this fundamental understanding of Jesus about what marriage really was. We're going to start there. Matthew 19, 3 through 6. If you, uh, I have to say, I don't know if you are typically a note taker in church, uh, but I think today would be a good day to start if you're not. Uh, there's pens, there's paper and stuff on your on your thing. There's notes in the um, Ignite Church app. Like if you go under notes, there's a place. All, all of our outline for the day is in there. You can also add your own notes. I would encourage you to do this because this is the kind of stuff that I think uh, God's going to speak to you in the midst of it. So Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3. So some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together... Jesus says, let no one separate. Now, let me just give you just a little bit of background as we, as we kind of tackle this. Um, first of all, the Pharisees, this is an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are, who are the Pharisees? Religious leaders, Religious leaders in, in Jesus' day. And how'd they feel about Jesus as a whole? They kind of hated him, right? <laughs> they kind of despised him. And so they were consistently looking for ways to trap him in his words so that they could sort of, so that they could sort of discredit and say, and say, see, this guy's just a phony. He's not really from God. So they were constantly asking him questions, trying to trip him up to see if he would say something that would go against what the Old Testament, what the, what the books of the law had to say, and then they could sort of sweep him away, discredit him, that kind of thing. So that's what happens. The religious leaders come to Jesus to test him, and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And, and what, he, what they're getting at, at the time, there were sort of two main understandings uh, by the, the religious leaders about what, what marriage really was and kind of what the part divorce had. One, the one, the one part said, you know what, you can divorce your wife or your husband for any reason you can think of. In fact, some would go as far as to say, if you went to the city gates and said, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times, it was all done. Everything was dissolved. You were free to go and live your life, right? That was the one side. And by the way, by the way, I might add, does this sound familiar? This sounds a little bit like our culture's perspective of marriage and divorce, doesn't it? That we can get divorced for almost any kind of reason. Second, the other picture is over on the other side, the other extreme, that says you can't divorce your wife or your husband for any reason whatsoever. It doesn't matter, right? You're, you're stuck in that thing forever. And so what they're, what they're saying to Jesus, they're saying, which side do you fall in? Are you over here? Are you over here? And they're trying to get, they're kind of trying to, get him to, 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 to trip up on his words. And Jesus' response, right, is this. He says, he goes back to the beginning and says, don't you know that God created man and woman? And he put them together. He said, he said for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He'll be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says, therefore, when God is joined together, let no one separate. The way I'm, I'm kind of putting that, if you go to the next slide, is I think this is what he's saying. He says, you can't un-one what God has made one. 
right? That, that, that's sort of Jesus' theme. He's saying, you, I mean, the, the Pharisees are looking for a, a technicality. They're saying, is it lawful? Is it okay? You know, according to, is it okay? Can we kind of get out of this for any and every reason? And Jesus is like, you're talking about the law. He's like, I'm not even sure it's possible. It, it's sort of the equivalent of, I superglued a couple pieces of paper together last night. And it's sort of like asking, is it lawful to take these two pieces of paper and, and, and separate them? Jesus said, I'm not even sure you can do it, right? I'm not, I'm not it's going to rip, it's going to tear, it's going to, it's sort of like taking two different eggs and you crack them and you put them in a frying pan and you scramble them together, you make scrambled eggs and you cook them up and then say, I'd like my egg back. Jesus is like, you're asking me if it's, you know, technically, is it allowed, is it whatever? He's like, I'm not even sure it's possible. There's sort of an intertangling of souls and lives and hearts that happen when we get married. Yes, it's talking physically. He's talking about way more than sex here. He said, I'm, you can't unone what God has made one. Jesus' perspective on marriage, though, I think is very different from what we see in our culture today. Isn't it? It's totally different. If you, were to, if you were to be talking with a group of friends, chances are in today's day and age, and you're talking about your, your husband or your wife, and you're saying, oh, man, they're not treating me the way they should, or they're not doing this for me, or they're just sluggards, and they're just only about themselves, or they're not picking up their stinky socks, or they're, I mean, whatever. For almost any and every reason, if you're complaining and saying whatever, at some point, you'll hear somebody in your sphere of influence probably say, you should dump them, right? You should get divorced. You should just move on with your life. But Jesus' perspective is totally different. He says, man, don't unwind what God has made. He is super high view of marriage. Can it be, I mean, can it be done? Can, can, is it legal? They're asking you, he's like, man, I'm not even sure it's possible. Not without ripping and tearing and wounding. I think many of us in the room that have lived through divorce would probably agree at some, to some degree, saying it is an incredible, divorce is an incredibly damaging process from which you never fully recover. There are parts of you that end up wounded, parts of your heart that maybe will never be the same again. I grew up in a, in a home where my parents were divorced at a very, like be, before I was born pretty much, they were separated. And I'll tell you what, I, I've watched the, the ripple effects, especially on my mom, but on both of my parents for the next four decades. And I'm telling you what, you can't unwind what God has made one. They both went on, got remarried, but I'm telling you what, there's something, there's parts of them that have been wounded that were never the same again. I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. It's what he's talking about. There's a unity, there's a oneness that comes. Again, he's talking way more than sex. He's talking about an intertangling of souls and hearts and lives in a way that two individuals become one and not just two. And try and un-one what God has made one and the damage in us will be profound. Now again, this isn't like a guilt trip or anything. Jesus ends the passage that we're reading here talking about, the, in a very real, real way, that all of us to some degree have screwed up and sinned I mean, we've all blown it. We've all committed adultery even. He would talk about if you've even looked at a person lustfully. Uh, so he's, he, this isn't about condemnation. But it is about him raising a very high level and saying, man, we've learned to treat marriage and divorce and relationships so flippantly. But instead, he says, you know what? This is a sacred thing. This is a, this is a deal where two become one. And I'm not sure that you can un-one exactly what God has made one. And so I think the implication is, and what he would say is, so be real careful who you 
choose, right? Be, be unbelievably careful about who you spend your life with, about who you take your vows with, about who you uh, are living with and you know, moving towards. Be real careful about doing that on the front end. It seems like so often we do the opposite, right? Like we, we want to rush the front end stuff, like the dating and whatever. We're going to rush that and we, we're swept away by our emotions and we're so in love and we're feeling it and we're starry-eyed and, you know, it's magical kind of thing, right? I mean, we get swept away like, oh, I, this is my soulmate. I want to be with them forever. And we get swept away and then, and then later we start getting super critical and cynical and everything else. We're like, well... Where does he get off me? You know, treatment? Where is she? I can't believe she. I think Jesus is saying, let's do the opposite. Right? Let's be real careful on the front end about who we choose. And then let's learn to be gracious on the back end after we say, I do. You want to know why? Because you're living with a sinner. You're living with somebody that will let you down. And they're living with you, which is the same deal, right? Because we're all in the same boat. But I think what we're going to see today, what I want to focus our time on today is, like, so therefore, let's be so careful on the front end. I'm going to be speaking to today. I want to, I want to share with you about, uh, for those of you that are single, for those of you that, that aren't married yet, I want to share with you and say, today, a lot of the focus of today is going to be on you. And I'm going to put some stuff. I hope you write down, burn these notes uh, in your memory, put them in your Bible, stick them by your, your bedside. I think God has some great stuff to share with you. But this is also for those of us that are friends. Do you know who probably has the most influence on us as we are making decisions about that stuff? We'd like to say, we as parents would like to say, oh, it's on us, right? I mean, we parents have all, you know, it's, it's friends that have influence. And so if we're ever going to be coaching or, or in, you know, directing or speaking into friendships about, hey, is this the one? Is this the person that you should be investing in and living your life with? This is for you. If, if you are a parent or a grandparent and you have kids or grandkids that are going to be going through this process, you know, how can you coach them? How can you, how can you help uh, from a young age put this in their minds about the kind of man or the kind of woman that they should be, uh, that they should be looking for, the ones that they should even be becoming, right, in, in, in order to, to, to really set themselves up well for life and for marriage and for family. And we'll come back at the end as well, because this is also, I think, a message. I think there's some good stuff for those of us that are maybe struggling in marriage right now. And, and I think God, God will remind us and, and encourage us a little bit here at the end. But I want to spend the bulk of our time again on how to choose wisely. We're going to learn some lessons from Proverbs 31. Proverbs is a fascinating book in the Bible. It's written, um, it's compiled, I should say, by Solomon, King Solomon, one of the smartest guys that ever lived. Uh, in fact, at the time, he was referred to as the smartest man alive, or the smartest man who ever lived. And, uh, and, and so he compiled this whole book of wisdom sayings, and he passed it on to his son. In fact, Proverbs starts out this way. And he's giving these, these wisdom sayings to his son, saying, man, this is how life works best. If you would be wise, if you would listen to your father, if you would receive this wisdom, and if you would live by it. He ends the book of Proverbs with, by including, it's actually written from somebody else, by, by including this picture of what, of what he should be looking for in a wife, about sort of the perfect picture of a wife. And you might think, well, that's sort of, what does that mean for all the you know, women in the room who are looking for husbands? Actually, the kinds of things that he, he describes in this passage, I think, are, are gender neutral. And that's what we're going to see. I think it applies to women. I think it applies to men. So this is gives sort of a picture to his son of what you are to look for. And he says, man, you would do well to pay attention and to walk in wisdom.
wisdom and to put this into practice. Use this as the yardstick, so to speak, in your life. Proverbs 31, again, a picture of how life works best in the whole thing. Uh, it's just like, man, choose wisely. Here we go. Uh, Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10, says this. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still light. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her training is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. This is how it ends. It says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Oh man, I have to say, there's so much good stuff in there. There's so much good about choosing wisely, according to the smartest guy in the world. And, and we believe that it's not just according to him, right? But that, that this, all scripture is God, breathed. believe it was actually God speaking through him that, that got him into this book, right? And that in a very real way, real way that God is speaking to us, saying, man, this is, this is sort of a picture of what it looks like to choose wisely. And when it comes to romance, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to what we're looking for in a future spouse, choose wisely. And, and what I'm going to summarize it in these kind of ways. He says, choose based on their relation, relationship with God and based on their character. Those two things. Now, I'm just saying, I just, it, it might be easy to be like, well, now, wait a minute. Like, this is a very cognitive, very left brain sort of approach. What about love? What about romance? What about getting swept away? What about being starry-eyed and, and all that kind of stuff? I have to say, it's just not in there. It's, it's fascinating. We tend to make decisions about romance based on our feelings, based on the feelings of being in love. But let me tell you, that doesn't even make God's list here. Why? Because, because falling in love is easy. Staying in love is a little different deal, isn't it? Staying in love is what's hard. Choosing to love, fighting for love, that's an issue of character. And I tell you what, that's what makes all the difference in the world. I read a fascinating article this week by Dr. Helen Fisher. She's from Rutgers University. She spent pretty, she's a biological anthropologist. She spent pretty much all of her adult life mapping the chemical responses of love. So she's trying to figure out what the, what the hormones are, what the 
but what happens in the brain during each stage of when somebody is in love. And what she's found is she said, you know what? We, we spend so much time just getting swept away by she It's chemical. The stuff that we typically associate with love is, is chemical. She, she talks about this in the first stage of love. She says it's actually just lust. It doesn't matter. It's not just men. It's men and women alike. It's, it's started in this first stage by sexual hormones like estrogen and testosterone. She says that's what gets our, our, our attention initially. It's what draws us towards another man or another woman. The second stage of love she refers to as attraction. She said, this is like the love struck phase when you can't think about anything else. She says, it's really a mixture of adrenaline rush from nervous energy, dopamine, which she refers to as like cocaine, drawing us back to that person again and again and again, and serotonin, which keeps you thinking about him or her almost constantly. The third phase she refers to as attachment. She said it's mostly uh, influenced by oxytocin, which is sometimes referred to as the cuddling hormone. It's the chemical that causes you to want to stay with somebody else, uh, uh, the other person, and cuddle. <laughs> anyway, she goes through and talks about all these different chemical responses, which drive so much of what we think about love. In fact, she ends this article by saying, you know what, this, she's like, it's, it's scientifically proven. She said, if, you want, if, if love for you is just about experiencing the, the, the hormones, experiencing the feelings of, of being in love, she said, I can, I can tell you how to do it in 34 minutes with any person. She said, find a complete stranger and get together, shut out all distractions, and she, spent, she said, spend 30 minutes turned towards each other, sharing about your innermost thoughts and feelings and the things that are important to you, and then listening as the other person does the same. And then spend four minutes just not saying anything, but just gazing into one another's eyes. She said, scientifically, it will release the same hormones that we're talking about, and you will start to feel love. By the way, if you want an idea for your next date night, if you're married, right, you might want to just, you can re-fall in love all over again, 34 minutes. I thought that was fascinating. Fascinating. Now, the problem with this is that if we are basing our, all of our relationship, right, our marriage, like the foundation of a relationship, if it's based on those feelings, then just as quickly, 34 minutes, just as quickly as they come, what happens? They can go, right? And then what? Is they typically, the, the, uh, the most intense rush of, of hormones, all this kind of stuff lasts for about 18 months. After that, You've got the next 50 years, and if you have made your decision based on the feeling of love, but based on the chemicals and the hormones, then what do you have left? God says, don't be a fool. That stuff is fleeting, right? Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. It, fleeting, it runs away. If Even the feelings of love, right, can come and go and fleeting. But he, he turns and says, but a, but a woman or a man, somebody who fears the Lord, is greatly to be praised. He says, don't be fooled. Don't just base on, oh, she's hot, or he's, he's winsome, he's so charming, right? That is, he's like, that's, that's not this fleeting. And what happens when, <laughs> oh, I better not get myself in trouble. But that stuff is fleeting, right? Instead, base it on character. Base it on heart based on their love for God, a mutual foundation that when the harder times come, you know that, that your relationship can stand. Such a huge deal. Charm is deceptive, beauty is a fleeting, but a man or a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So that takes us to the first one. Go on here. The first thing that God kind of points out in, in Proverbs 31, he says, 
base your relationship, when you are looking for how the, the measuring rod to use, the yardstick to use, when you're looking, is this person the one? Is this somebody I should be investing in, that I should be spending my life with? Is this a, a relationship that's going somewhere? It says, if you are a Christ follower, then you should be looking and saying, do they have a genuine relationship with Jesus? By the way, I apologize for my voice today. I hope you guys can stick with me anyway, all right? Base it on a genuine relationship with Jesus. You gotta look for the real stuff. You gotta look for somebody who honors or respects or who fears, who lives their life for the Lord. Somebody that is filled with his love. Somebody that is led by his spirit. That lives out his mission with compassion for the world. That's where it's at. God says that is the kind of relationship that lasts. That has Christ as its foundation. That's what you look for in a future spouse. That's what you look for in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. That is something that you can build a real and lasting life with. St. Corinthians puts it this way. It says this. He's talking to believers because this was a problem, right? He was talking to believers and saying, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't do it. Don't, if you're a Christ follower, he's like, don't go and get, don't become one with somebody that's not a believer. Right? This ought to be the top thing on your list. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. He's like, because what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What, do, what fellowship can light and darkness have in common? What harmonies are between Christ and an idol, right? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them. I will walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. He's saying, I am living inside of you. I am the most important thing in your life. So when it comes to, to who you're going to spend your life with, make sure that the number one thing on your list is looking for an authentic, a genuine relationship with Jesus. Not just the word to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But are they living in a vibrant Relationship with Christ? Are they seeking Him? Are they worshiping Him? Are they in church? That's a pretty simple first step. Are they are they opening up His Word? Are they hitting their knees? Are they seeking Him more than anything else? They're saying, look, if you base your the foundation of your relationship, the foundation of your family on Christ, that is a strong foundation. That's not just uh, you know thirty four minutes and I feel it right. That's that's something that can last and stand the test of time. That's a, that's, that's a foundation that can last for decades and decades and decades and a lifetime. He's saying if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then don't be one, right? Don't be joined. Don't come together with somebody that's not an authentic follower of Jesus. You can do it. I mean, can, can, can you do that and still be, you know, stay married over the, over the long haul? Sure, it's possible, but I have to say, friend, as a pastor, I, I mean, this is the kind of thing that I see, eh, Forgive me, but I'll just I'm a stereotype a little bit. I see young women, especially a lot of times, cheat on this one. They say, "Oh, but you know what? I'll win him over over time." It's it's like um, it's like dating evangelism or something, right? Sometime he's going to come to know Jesus, and we're going to have this great relationship. He's a perfect guy. I, I'm just it's not a big deal, and they'll move forward. And I have to say, I we walk with people like this for decades and watch the the pain and the hardship. You don't know why? Because the most important thing in their life, they don't have in common with their spouse. Their values, what, what's directing and guiding them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's living inside them. He's teaching them. He's guiding them towards his kingdom purposes in their life. How are we going to spend our money? How are we going to live and serve others? How are we going to whatever? And, and something that if you don't have Christ in common, 
You're just not going to be on the same page. You hear me on that one? I'm telling you what, if you shortcut this, you'll regret it. You will. I mean, can God redeem? Can God whatever? If you're in that, of course he can. It's what he does best. But I'm saying, God warns us again and again, don't choose us. If you're a follower of Christ, then that's, that's the yardstick. He says, make sure you're looking when you're choosing wisely. Make sure you're choosing based on, do they have a genuine relationship with Jesus? Do we have that foundation in common? You will never regret making that decision. I have to say, Tina and I have done tons of stuff wrong. Uh, I am stubborn. She's stubborn, too. We don't tell her I said that. <laughs> but we, we, there's tons of ways that we have conflict. There's tons of stuff. With you. One of the things that we did best on the front end that we did really well is we chose based on these kinds of things. We were like, uh, in fact, we, we decided we weren't going to even kiss or anything uh, when we were dating because I didn't want to get swept away by the feelings, by the emotions, by the uh, all that kind of stuff. He said, I wanted to choose wisely. Tina wanted to choose wisely. There was a moment in our relationship early on, before we were even dating, we were friends for years, uh, first of all, where we were just having this conversation and we've been talking about heart stuff probably like in that 34 minutes, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But we've been sharing heart and stuff back and forth and she, and she kind of blushed a little bit and she said, you know, I feel like we have the same heart. And I... That it was like a defining moment in our relationship. And I knew it was true. She knew it was true. I don't know why. Because we both sold out to Jesus. We both wanted, we wanted to have a relationship that was completely based on him. Because we wanted to find somebody that, that, that shared our passion for Jesus. That shared our passion for ministry. For helping other people meet Jesus. We were both living that stuff out. And I'll tell you what. There hasn't been a week that's gone by. We've been married 20 years uh, in September. We were married 20 years. There hasn't been a week that's gone by in the last 20 years that I haven't been extremely thankful that we have that foundation in common. That we chose not just based, in fact, our courtship, our, our dating years were not exactly the easiest. I had all kinds of crap that was, was coming up in the midst of it for my past. He did too. We went through counseling before we were even, you know, seriously dating. We were doing counseling to try and work through our own junk because we realized, you know, we, there's stuff in me that's going to get in the way, stuff that's not the way God wants it to be. So we were working through this stuff. And I'll tell you what, I am so thankful. We didn't get swept by emotions. We chose based on character based on relationship with Jesus. I am so thankful. It has allowed us to have a relationship that has endured and will continue to endure by God's grace. The time to be critical, the time to be picky, the time to look closely and zero in on all this stuff, again, is before you get married, before you sleep together, before, you know, you start dating. Look at, use this yardstick and say, is this the kind of person they are? Is this the kind of person that I am? Can we build our lives on a genuine relationship with Jesus? If you want success for the long haul and you're a believer, then genuine faith in Christ is a non-negotiable. Second thing, genuine character. And that's what most of this Proverbs 31 talks about, right? Genuine character. Not being a character, but genuine character and integrity of heart. Not just what they say again, but how they live. Do they live this stuff out? How do they behave? Again, the time for the microscope is on the front end and not on the back end. Because all of us fall short. All of us have junk, but we want to we look for character on the front end. 
The reason being, right, is because we tend to think, again, we kind of think that, oh, well, I'll change them over time, or they'll just come into this. But you wonder what the reality is? Is past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior, isn't it? Their track record is the best indicator of how they're going to be in the future. In fact, if they're not a certain way when they're date when you're dating, that's probably them putting on their best face. If that's not there when you're dating, chances are it won't be there. If they if they are not compassionate when you're dating, chances are they won't be compassionate when you're married. If they're not generous here, they're probably not going to be generous there. If they're not kind, if they're not interested in really listening to you, if they're not interested in serving you, and again, I'm making it sound like it's all about you. It's not. It puts both ways. But this is how you look for character, right? You look and say, what's the track record? This is why I encourage people, don't jump into marriage too soon. Don't jump into a serious relationship where you're on that track too soon. Character is proven over time. It doesn't have to be decades or something, but maybe over the course of a year, right? You look and you say, who, who are they really? Are they shortcutting issues of character? Are they faking it? Are they saying the right things because they know that's what I want to hear? Or are they living this stuff out in their lives? And then God, throughout this passage, goes, and he goes on and paints a picture of six different issues of character. I'm going to rapid fire most of these. But uh, let me just kind of go through them real quick because I think these are, again, this is a fabulous guard stick. This is something if you are dating, if you're interested, if you're hoping to date sometime, if you are whatever, I want you to be looking with this kind of, kind of lens. Are they trustworthy, right? It says her husband has full confidence in her. It means that they trust him, that he trusts her with his whole heart. He has he's no doubt. If she says something is true, it's true, right? If she says she was someplace, then that's where she was, right? He has full confidence in her. Man, I'm telling you what, you do not want to shortcut this one. This is a huge issue of character. Relationships are built on trust. And so if, if you can't trust what your, right, what this person, what your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, you can't trust what they say, man. It's going to leave the door open for all kinds of junk. It's going to lead to tremendous amounts of pain. Character matters. Are they trustworthy? Do they lie to you when it's easier for them, when it helps them to save face? If so, can I just tell you this? You should run. If you're tainting, right, you should, that's not the kind of person you want to invest your life in. I'm just telling you. It would save you all kinds of heartache later. Are they trustworthy? Second thing uh, is kind of a goodness, kindness kind of thing. It says she brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. Again, you're looking at perform, like perform. How do they treat you over over the course of the long haul? Again, this is painting over the course of a marriage, but over the course of dating, how are they treating you? This is one of those reasons why it's it's a good idea to get input from some other trusted Christian friends from parents, if they're Christ followers, whatever, saying, man, what do you see in terms of character? Are they living this stuff out? Are they kind to you over the course? And if, if the people around you, some, again, sometimes we shortcut this, but if the people around you are saying, warning, 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 this is, this is not a character that you would do well to take those seriously, to take a critical look. Okay, this one is fascinating to me. When you look at uh, just sheer number of verses, uh, I, I put a couple of verses here, but it's really throughout. It talk, it's talking about being hardworking. Work ethic is all the way through this passage. Proverbs 31, 50 through 17. I'm just going to read this verse. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her test. But it's, it, 
almost, I mean, every other verse practically is saying, man, she's up early, she stays up late, she's working hard, she's doing this kind of thing. I'm like, man, this is fascinating to me because they're saying, you know what? Working hard is an issue of character. And when you're looking for a future spouse, it's something you should take note of. If, uh, <laughs> stereotype a little bit again, if they're 35 and they're living in their mom's basement playing video games all day, right? Chances, that's a warning flag. There's a character thing that if she doesn't like the idea of hard work, that's a warning flag. Why? Because relationships, are the relationships easy over the long haul? Do they take hard work? Do good marriages take hard work? You guys are being weak. Oh my gosh. They take tons of work and patience and the ability to say, you know, to have a goal ahead of you and to work hard over the long haul and achievement of that goal. You say, man, that's a big character issue. You would do well to pay attention to it. So much so that it shows up again and again and again and again in this passage. Fourth one, generosity, Uh, right? This is, she opens her arms to the poor, extends her hands she's compassionate she's generous it's a, good, it's a great question are they generous and compassionate to those who are in need if not on the front end can I just say that's a flag you don't know why because if they're not there you know what there's going to come a day in your marriage or in your life when you are in need and when you are struggling and you don't know is this the kind of person that's going to walk with me that's going to that's going to be gracious or not or they just want the easy route Really gracious and compassionate, generous. Uh, fifth one, strength. And this was fascinating. Strength and dignity, right? It talks about she's clothed with strength and dignity. This isn't talking about physical strength like the dude's got a six-pack, man, right? It's not like that. It, this is talking about strength of character. It's, it's a willingness to endure hard seasons, to keep moving forward. The strength to stay committed even when you don't feel like, to keep choosing to love and honor and serve even when it's hard. Strength and dignity, and these are huge. And the last one, this is an interesting one, is speaks with wisdom. Verse 26 says, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instructions are on her tongue. Now that one is fascinating to me. Let me put it a little differently. Listen to what's coming out of their mouth. I think if you want to know what's there in their character, listen to what's coming out of their mouth. Is, is the conversation when you're dating all about me, right? I'm so great, look at me, look at this, look at this, whatever. If so, that should tell you something about what's most important. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What what is in our hearts comes out. Listen to the words. It's significant. Is what do you hear? Do you hear words coming out that are all about partying? That are all about their achievement at work, that are all about money, or that are all about that's going to be an indicator of what is most important. It's an indicator of character. And I'm taking a little bit of liberty, but not not much. But when they speak, what do you hear of the Lord? What do you hear of his wisdom? What do you hear of, right, this, because you're going to have a good understanding of what their heart is, about what's most important, what's most valuable to them, based on what you hear coming out of their mouth. And so ask the question, what do I here. And at the same time, ask the question of yourself, what do I learn about my own heart by what I say? Right? What's most important to me? What, what kind of course corrections need to happen there? You with me on that? Are you hearing God's values? Are you hearing God's wisdom? Are you hearing the words of a man or a woman who is faithfully and, and carefully instructing his own heart, his own life, self-leadership, her, her, right, her, his or her 
oh, are they carefully instructing, guiding other people, putting them back to Jesus and his truth is? Or is it foolishness? Is it just temporary? Is it just here and now? Kind of stuff. Listen to their words. We go back uh, to kind of where we started here. Proverbs 31, 30. It says, charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a man or woman who has genuine character, who has a genuine walk with God, who fears the Lord, is greatly to be praised. The Bible says that's the kind of person that you should be looking for. That's the kind of life that you and I should be pursuing for ourselves. That's who we should be becoming. Some of us might be here today and we're single. And if we're honest, we're saying, we could say, you know, we've been using the, the wrong yardstick, so to speak. We've been, we've been measuring our relationships in ways that we are looking for the one, so to speak, in all the wrong ways. We've been looking for the wrong things. And maybe God is speaking to you today, and, and, and I hope you're paying attention, but maybe he's speaking to you today and saying, it's time to use a different ruler. It's time for you to make a commitment today and say, you know what, I'm going to wait, right? I'm going to wait until somebody comes along that has a genuine walk with Jesus and who has that genuine character. There's not perfection, right? Not perfect. But, that, but when I look over the trajectory of what I've done, I see a love for Jesus, a growing love for Jesus in them. And I see a character that's becoming more and more like him. And I'm willing to wait for him. Friends, you will never regret waiting and choosing somebody for authentic faith in Christ and authentic character. I'd encourage you to wait. I'd encourage you to pray right, to that end and just say, God, would you give me eyes to see these kind of people? They might not be the, the flashy ones up front that all the other guys or girls are going for, but might be one who is of who is worth more than rubies, who, is have, who has far greater worth than all the rest because of that heart that loves God, because of that life that is filled with integrity and character. Pray for it. Wait for it. You won't be sorry. Some of us here, we might, we might be in dating relationships. We're not married yet. And if we're listening, maybe God is saying to you today, you know what? You are not choosing wisely. That is not the one that I have for you. And if that's the case, you know what? It might be that, that, that what God's prompting you to do is to, to leave here today and to cut it off. It's time. And I have to say, I get it. I, I have been there before, but it is not, I have to say, you, you won't regret it. It is the hard choice to make now, but you will be so thankful later if you choose, right? If you choose wisely based on authentic character, authentic, real life with Christ. You won't be sorry. Now some of us in reality might be might be saying, you know, we're tired of waiting. I have waited long enough. It would be better just to settle and just to be with somebody than to live with the loneliness that I feel in my own heart and soul. And can I just say, oh, please don't do it, right? Please don't do it. Because I'll tell you what, it is, it is far better to ache and, and be lonely and struggle now than it is to be lonely for the rest of your life because you chose more. It is better to be single and wishing that you were married than it is to be married and wishing you were single. Right? Do not shortcut this deal. 
It's worth the wait. It is worth the wait. And I would say, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I would say, man, in the meantime, while you're waiting, can I just encourage you to, to spend your time becoming the right kind of person yourself. Spend the time investing in your own relationship with Jesus. Because despite the homework and you know everybody else, what they would have you believe, the right person for you, Mr. Right, right for you, is Jesus, right? He is the only one that will fill you in a way that, that we long for somebody else to do. He's the only one that will bring lasting peace into our lives. He's the only one that can fill us. He's the only one that can love us in ways that we are made to be loved. You will not find that in somebody else. It comes only from a relationship with Christ. So would you invest your life in him while you're waiting? Would you invest in him? Would you find fullness in him? Would you become the kind of man or the kind of woman that we're talking about today? And lastly, I just, let me just say, I know I realize that this is hard for some of us. Anytime I talk about this, this kind of thing, I realize that it's a hard deal. Because sometimes as we're hearing and we're painting this picture, there are some of us that are here that are married and we're saying, you know what? I did not choose wisely. I didn't choose wisely. And, and I have to say, and we're tempted to run towards divorce and saying, man, I want to get out of this thing because I, I, I was just young and foolish and I was in love and I got swept away and all this kind of stuff. And you know, I just want to go back to where we started to say, man, the answer, no matter what you think, the answer is a divorce. You can't unwind what God has made one. Can I encourage you the same way that I was encouraging people in the waiting journey? To invest your life and entrust yourself and your marriage to the only one that brings redemption, the only one that fills, the only one that can do what needs to happen in you and in your spouse. Would you grow in that walk with God? Would you, would you again, and entrust your marriage and your relationship and the one the Bible says, the one that is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Because the story of God, the story of humanity, the story of the Bible from beginning to end, the story of human history from beginning to end is one in which all of us have chosen poorly in one way or another. All of us have screwed up. All of us have sinned. All of us have turned away from God. All of us have, right, fill in the blank. We've, we've screwed stuff up royally, and yet God has been so gracious to us. He has come after us. He has come and died so that we can live, so that we can be redeemed, so that he can restore step by step by step, so that he can bring things back to the way they are always meant to be. I don't know what God's going to do in your marriage. I can't promise that, you know, if you married an unbeliever, I can't promise that he's, he or she's going to become a believer. If you if you uh, have some character stuff that's in you or in your, I can't guarantee that all that's going to work out because you can't control anybody else, right? Can barely control ourselves, right? But I'll tell you what, the answer to what you're longing for, the answer and the hope that exists is found in Jesus. That's all of us. I want to, like I said, in future weeks, we're going we're gonna to get to all kinds of practical stuff. We're going to talk about all kinds of, but I want us to start here today just by kind of coming back to God, by sort of surrendering ourselves, looking to him and trusting our decisions. Father, that's our cry. Uh, for those that are 
are single in the room. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak today, that you be etching these issues of life with Jesus and character, etching them into their souls. I pray that they would choose wisely and that they would be becoming um, the kind of men and women that we've talked about today with men and women of character and women who are in a growing and thriving relationship with Jesus. Just draw us and help us to grow and just pour out our energy our focus on you. Father, for those that uh, are here and have some relationships that need to break off, God, I pray that you be abundantly here. Just nudge that in them today and I pray that you give them courage to